Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the Baptism of Our Lord, January 9th, 2022, is preached by seminarian Jeremy Nikonen. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning and welcome again to Faith Free Lutheran Church. Um, we thank you all for being here today. We also welcome all who are watching online on the live stream. Um, it's good to be here today. It's only, this is my first time getting to preach on a Sunday morning. Um, I'm, I'm already in my third year of seminary, so it's a blessing to finally have this opportunity to preach in my home congregation. Uh, our sermon text is taken from uh, Romans chapter 6. Uh, verses 1 through 11. It can be found on page 1754 in your, in your pew Bible. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Reading in Jesus' name, Romans 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Lord, these are your words. Your word is truth. Sanctify us in your truth. Convict us of sins in our lives where that is necessary. And bring us the comfort of your gospel. Lord, be with me today as I proclaim your word. Give us open hearts and ears to hear what you have to say to us. Let the words of the, my heart and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to your sight, in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. So, have you ever used the grace of God as an excuse to sin? I wish we could say that we don't. But I'm sure the reality for most of us is that we have. How often have you thought, I know this thing is wrong, but I really want to do it. And God will forgive me anyway, so I might just do it just this one time. I'm reminded of a viral video trend uh, that's kind of been going around for the last couple of years. It's called the Fruit Snack Challenge. Um, some of you might be familiar with it. Uh, in one version of it that I've seen, there were just these two little boys, probably maybe a year and a half, two years old. I'm not an expert on children um, and ages, but the, barely ver verbal anyway. Um, but 
the parents sit the kids down at the dinner table and they set down a pile of fruit snacks in front of the kids. And they tell the kids, now you can have these fruit snacks, but mom and dad are gonna leave the room and you have to wait until mom and dad come back to eat the fruit snacks. You can't touch them while we are gone. And the parents leave the room and whether you've seen the video or not, you can probably imagine what happens next. The two little boys look at each other, they, they grin, they, they look, they check to see if mom and dad are coming back sometime soon. Uh, one of the little boys shakes his head no at the other brother and the brother reaches out and kind of just toys around with the fruit snacks. He doesn't eat them, just kind of plays around with the fruit snacks and then he quickly pops one in his mouth. And the other brother resists for a little bit longer, checks again to see if mom and dad are coming and then he too pops the fruit snacks into his mouth. Now, the parents come back and catch the little boys in their disobedience and they laugh and it ends in laughter and hugs and all that stuff like that. Well, I don't mean to trivialize sin. I mean, this is a cute example here. Um, but uh, how often do we disobey God in the same way? How often do we treat God's commandments for us the same way? We know what we've been instructed to do, yet disobedience, whatever our pet sin may be, whether it's eating those fruit snacks or something a little more serious, it, it seems so enticing to us. What's worse is we go on to use the grace of God as an excuse for it. We're tempted to think that because God will forgive us, that sinning doesn't matter anymore. I'm sure there are lots of different ways we do this. But this attitude is what Paul is trying to strike down in the first lines of our text today. So then the question is, why shouldn't we sin? In the previous chapter, Paul goes into depth about how we are justified by faith in Christ and brought to new life with him. Paul concludes the chapter with a great declaration of the gospel. Now where the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, Grace also may, might reign through righteousness, leading to life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now perhaps our natural inclination when we hear where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, is to say, well, then why not keep on sinning? Paul anticipates this objection, and it brings us to our text for today. He asks, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? And immediately he answers, by no means. It may be understandable and likely relatable to most of us to ask this question. If God's grace covers our sins and where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, then why not continue sinning so that God continue be, can continue being more and more gracious? Why can't we just keep on sinning? If God's going to continue being gracious, why not do whatever we want? Now at this point, we have to pause and recognize that we can't let our supposed passion for God's grace make us forget the seriousness of sin. There is a reason, after all, for why we need God's grace. We cannot presume upon God's grace either. One day, our lives will be over and time will have run out. There will be a penalty to pay, and we either repent 
and turn from sin and cling to Christ's righteousness? Or we stand in our own works and face the penalty for our sin? Sin is serious business. It has real impacts. For one, deliberate sin can lead you to fall away from faith. Hebrews 10, 26-27 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. If we deliberately keep on sinning, all we should expect is God's judgment and condemnation, not his grace. And as if that's not enough of a reason to avoid deliberately sinning, we should also keep in mind that our neighbors are harmed by our sin. Of course there are sins where the harm is immediately obvious, like murder or theft, but all sin harms our neighbor. Even minor sins, they may cause their hearts to be calloused to sin, and seeing you in sin leads them to become more and more comfortable with sin. It deadens their conscience and it dulls their sense of right and wrong. Connected with this, we also need to understand the seriousness of sin because if we don't, we will fail to see our need for the gospel. We see this all over the place today. We are generally uncomfortable with calling out sin. We don't want to alienate anybody or make anyone feel uncomfortable. We don't want to be seen as old fogies or fun suckers. We, don't want to, we really, really don't want to be the uncool ones that ruin all the fun. We hesitate to proclaim God's holy law for fear of being labeled as judgmental or bigoted. Yet here lies a huge problem. When we fail to call sin, sin, or we diminish the seriousness of sin, we rob others of the opportunity to receive the gospel for that sin. If someone doesn't know that what they are doing is sinful, or even worse, we tell them what they are doing isn't sinful, or at least that it's not that big of a deal, we rob them not just of the truth of God's law, but we rob them of the forgiveness found in God's gospel. We need to be careful in our understanding of the gospel. The gospel is not just that God wiped away our sins as if they don't matter. No, the forgiveness of, the, of sins is costly, and Jesus paid that price for you. The gospel is not then a free pass to live however you please. Scripture gives stern warnings about this. Remember the Hebrews passage that we just referenced about continued sinning leading to falling from God's grace. Continued unrepentant sin has serious consequences and will ultimately lead to unbelief and eternal death. Now, if you're anything like me, you may object a little when you hear such a prolonged section of law. You might say, Jeremy, that was a little law-heavy. You're kind of making it sound like we earn our salvation by not sinning. Jeremy, that sounds an awful lot like works righteousness. And if I'm being honest, sometimes I have these same objections. Sometimes my only objection is just like, man, that kind of sounds like hard work. I, I don't like that. Now, these objections are all misguided. To be clear, our good works do not earn our salvation. Yet, salvation clearly produces good works. We are set apart for good works. I could set any 
cite any number of passages calling Christians to good works, from James to Ephesians to many other places. Scripture is clear. We should train ourselves for righteousness. In the verses immediately following today's text, Paul lays it out plainly. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. We are given a new life in Christ. We should try to do good works. Will we fail? Absolutely. But does that mean we shouldn't try? Absolutely not. Do our good works earn our salvation? By no means. Christ paid it all. Does this mean good works are unimportant? Absolutely not. Your neighbor needs them. Now, after this strong condemnation of sin, we may be surprised at where Paul goes next. Instead of pointing us to more and more good works or our own efforts, he points us to our baptism. Now, what does baptism have to do with not continuing in sin? Well, Paul explains, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him, therefore with him by baptism into death in order that in, as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In baptism, we are made dead to sin and brought to new life in Christ. We are united with Christ in his death and resurrection and freed from our enslavement to sin. The old man has been crucified with Christ and the new man is brought to new life. So essentially, Paul's solution or his response to the attitude of licentiousness or continuing in sin so that grace may abound is to say, no, instead, remember your baptism. Now, for some people among us, this phrase may carry some baggage. There's an old cri criticism of Catholic funerals and even some Lutheran funerals that claims that the way that baptism is preached makes it sound like it's some kind of golden ticket to heaven. It goes something like this. George may have never darkened the door of a church after his baptism, but he was baptized, and so we know he is saved. It is implied that what George did with the rest of his life doesn't matter whether or not he had any faith at all. All that matters is that he was baptized, and so he's in. When some people here remember your baptism, they equate it with this false teaching. They fear that by pointing people to remember their baptism, we are giving them an excuse to continue living in sin, as if it doesn't matter because God's grace covers them in baptism. Now, does Paul's teaching here in Romans leave any room for this interpretation? Absolutely not. In fact, Paul teaches that it is a robust understanding of baptism that actually combats this false teaching. So then, what is baptism truthfully? Paul says, baptism is where we are united with Christ in his death and raised to new life with him. God has connected his gift of salvation to us through the means of water and the word. When we say, remember your baptism, it is a call to remember that we have been made dead to sin and brought into new life. It is remembering the words of Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
Baptism is repenting of our sin and clinging to the grace of God, which we receive only as a gift by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul recognized that the solution to the problem of sin in our lives is not to tell us to buck up or try harder, at least not fully. He doesn't direct us to the law as a solution to our sin problem. The first thing that Paul points us to is the gospel, the reality of being put to death and raised up again with Christ. Harold St. Bell addresses this well in his book, The Care of Souls. He says, It's pastoral malpractice to prescribe the law to penitent sinners as the source of a God-pleasing life. The law can direct and guide, but it cannot motivate and empower. The only legitimate motivation for the life of the faith is not the law, but the gospel. The good news that God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling the world to himself, not charging their sins against them, but against his own sinless son. This is exactly what Paul is teaching in our passage today. In baptism, we are united with Christ in his death, made dead to sin, and raised to new life, never to die again. In this new life, we have been set free from the bondage of sin and from the law for our own righteousness. We have been united with Christ in his righteousness, and we are now set free to do good works for the good of our neighbor. So now, dear brother and sister in Christ, believe God's words about you. Your old nature, the flesh, the old man, has been put to death, and with it, so has your sin. Therefore, do not continue living in sin. Turn from it every chance you get. Make the choice. Say no. Do the right thing. Will you fail? Yes. Does the old man still plague you? Yes, for the rest of, your, of this life. Yet, he is a defeated foe. Christ has won the victory, and in baptism, you are, you are united with Christ in this victory. Do not use the grace of God as an excuse to sin. How can you? You have been put to death with Christ in baptism, and you have been raised to new life. So live this new life in faith. When you fall into sin, don't wallow in it. Repent. Turn to Christ. Receive the forgiveness of sins, and go out and love your neighbor. Take sin seriously. Recognize when you have failed, and turn to Christ. Remember your baptism. Be forgiven, and go out and serve. The Christian life is not a ladder to heaven. It is a cycle of repentance, a repeated return to the foot of the cross for God's mercy, a continual return to the waters of your baptism where your old man was united in death with Christ and the new man was resurrected with him. Receive this good news today and being strengthened by the gospel, go out and sin no more. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, Guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.